with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go, starting with me. My fact this week is that in winter, we should all wear our socks outside our shoes. <laughs> right. Because... And this is, this is science that says we should do this. Oh, um, Mr. Science. Yeah. This is a really interesting thing. It was a thing that they did in New Zealand. What they did was, uh, in New Zealand, they, they were saying that, okay, people keep slipping over. How do we fix this? And someone has worked out, if you wear your socks outside of your shoes, it gives you incredible grip, which means you will oh. never slip on ice. So in wintertime, in London, where we're recording this, or if you're overseas and you get winter and you get all the icy floor, <laughs> take your socks off. Or get a, get a second pair and put them outside your shoes. <laughs> treat, treat yourself. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, it's a really interesting study. Uh, I read the study. I think it won or it's been reported by the Ig Nobel people. It might have won an Ig Nobel Prize. And I read the report and they said, although participants in the intervention group were told they could keep their socks, many who appeared to have image issues... <laughs> opted to return them, including one young man who probably fell on leaving the assessment area. Amazing. Um, have any of you guys seen the video posted by Alan Anderson online? And it's him. He's a father of a girl who goes to school and he goes to pick up his child from school and he spends six full minutes filming people slipping over. Has anyone seen that? <laughs> Are they it's, all like children? Yeah, yeah, they're all oh, children. Wow. <laughs> he's oh my just, God. <laughs> he just sits in this... And it is extraordinary, the regularity with which they slip over. There's this corner of pavement and every single child that walks around it falls flat was, on their ass or their face or their head, whatever. Was, it, he, was he out there before he set up the camera pouring cold, cold water <laughs> on the pavement? You don't want to waste a morning's shooting, is all I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> It also shows his good fathering skills because at one about half, about three minutes into the video when he's filmed about, I don't know, 55 children falling over, um, his daughter leaves school and turns up at the car and he's like, I'm not going to go yet. Watch this, honestly. And uh, <laughs> it's another three minutes of him and his nine-year-old daughter going, yeah, that is hilarious. <laughs> so good, you should watch it. The, um, the thing about the socks going over your shoes, it doesn't work, apparently, if the socks are wet. And obviously, if you're walking uh. on... Snow or ice. <laughs> they will be soon. Ah. So, just, yeah. just speaking of kids, um, it's interesting that I think it is a New Zealand thing that they have recognised as just a local thing that people do. They know to wear socks outside their shoes. Because in 1989, two researchers extracted, <laughs> extracted gossip from a group of young 7 to 11-year-olds. That sounds really sinister, <laughs> <wouldn't> you? <laughs> now that I read it again. 
<laughs> it's just, it's just a single needle. <laughs> so these these were um, I, I I'm corrected uh, rereading my sentence. It wasn't in New Zealand. It was American school children. Oh well, that's and, all right then. Yeah. <laughs> And they asked each uh, child to discuss the reputations of each of their classmates. And this is what they said. Um, some of them were uh, warning signs of weirdness, apparently. It said, eats like a pig. That's one thing they would say. Bangs head on desk. Sounds like a car. <laughs> Fidgety. Acts like a monster. Wears socks over shoes. Ah, sensible. They should have said that after that. Brackets, sensible. Sounds, sounds like a car. <laughs> sounds like a car. Was that all one guy? <laughs> what, when everyone's slipping, he's going past going... <laughs> Um, do you know that they wear over socks in pro cycling sometimes? Really? Yeah, wearing socks over your shoes is a thing in cycling. Really? How yeah. come? Uh, well, in the spring when they're racing, it gets really kind of grotty and muddy and whatever, and they have these really lightweight shoes, and um, the idea is you put your socks over it and it won't damage the shoes. I That's good, know. isn't it? But, 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 the, but the shoes aren't on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a much better cyclist than I am. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it gets muddy and it kind of splashes up, and you know. And there was I saw an FAQ on um, a cycling website, and they the question was, what is the point of wearing socks over your shoes? And the answer was, experiencing the thrill of having non-cyclists within earshot, impertinently observing that you have forgotten your shoes. <laughs> Or that you have put them and your socks on in the wrong order. That does sound worth it. <laughs> um, there is something you can do if you're not into the socks over shoes look. Oh, yeah. The Canadian researchers have uh, discovered recently, which they've developed a new material where you implant glass fibres into shoes, and they're selling these shoes where these little shards of glass act as these tiny spikes. Um, but that the sounds way- very, very safe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I mean, it's not just a kid at home jabbing broken wine bottle up into his own trainers. <laughs> We've all been there. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, no, but I like this. So it was casually reported in New Scientist. The researchers who tested this material had, did it in a floating lab which was casually referred to as a floating lab, is a lab that gets hoisted into the air and then tilted at whatever sloping tilt or whatever gradient you want to tilt it to. So that's how they test these kind of things, is you just hoist this whole laboratory up and then you get people to wear these ice ice shoes, Ooh, glass shoes. That's amazing. And you tilt it. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Floating labs. <laughs> just genuinely interesting. Yeah. Here's something that's not that interesting. Oh, um, yeah, please. <laughs> I um I thought I'd look into sock puppets. Oh yeah. Um so I went onto Wikipedia and um Wikipedia says that a sock puppet is a puppet made from a sock or similar garment. <laughs> and I would argue that something made from that something that's not a sock really isn't a sock puppet. Well you've got sock puppets which are made of socks, you've got glove puppets which are made of gloves, you've got finger puppets obviously, which yeah. are made of fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're creepy, though. (laughs) (laughs) Andy approaches every normal human. Take off those finger puppets. (laughs) 
<laughs> Show me your true hand. <laughs> um, I, I got told on the way here by um, Alex Bell, who always appears on our podcast. Um, I got told that, so I mean, just on because we were talking on the way over here about how um, when you do slip on ice, obviously you can you can break your ankle, you can hurt yourself really badly. And he told me that um, during the filming of the movie Troy, the filming was actually delayed. Because Brad Pitt, who was playing Achilles, injured his Achilles heel. <laughs> no. Yeah, true fact. <laughs> true fact that I didn't Google, I just believed it. Um, <laughs> um, so I read an article in The Independent from 1993, which opened... Congratulations to the several hundred readers who wrote in with creative suggestions for using an odd sock. Uh, so this is obviously a competition they were running. <laughs> um, and uh, it said, this list, which is by no means exhaustive, will be put to good use. And suggestions for using an odd sock, and it is, it, they are good suggestions, they include with suitable holes as a coat or balaclava for a furry animal. That's my <laughs> <laughs> That's the best bank heist you've ever seen. Um, frozen. If a sock is frozen, use it as a boomerang. Because I guess the heel it has that shape. Oh, and if, yeah. if it's unfrozen, as a bag for a boomerang. <laughs> Um, we should move on to a second oh, fact what? very soon. Mm. What? I'm sorry. Uh, well, what else? What else you guys well, got? The, the original fact was about uh, snow and ice. Yeah. And uh, just this is just something I found interesting. You can start a fire using ice. Pretty really? cool. If you carve a piece of ice into a lens and you focus the sun's rays through it, you can start a fire in a few seconds. Wow! What cool is that? And you need the tools to chip away at a, at a chunk of ice, but you can do it. Well, and it's so I've seen that, it being done. There are that videos sentence could have read, you can turn your child into a... <laughs> what? Car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could do that with most things, presumably, right? You can't focus the rays of the no, sun you... through a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, then my nice. experiments have been all in vain. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Okay. It is time for fact number two, and that is Andrew Hunter-Murray. My fact this week is that ancient Jerusalem's lost property office just involved shouting about what you had lost in the hope that somebody had found it. <laughs> well, so, well, really? Yeah. Um, so there's, um, they've just found in the, the ruins of ancient Jerusalem a particular podium, and there are a couple of theories about its use. One is that it was a sort of speaker's corner, and the other is that it was a lost property office, because uh, there are a couple of ancient Jewish texts which mention a stone of claims, and that's where you would go if you'd lost something. And the idea is that you would tell an announcer, and then he would shout out to the crowd and see if anyone had found anything <laughs> that was like that. And that was how you were reunited with your lost stuff in ancient Jerusalem. I just think that's the best idea ever. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Well, you kind of need everyone in the country to be stood around <laughs> yeah, the guy yeah, yeah, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really going to work in London, is it? That's the floor. Uh, it's, uh, well, it's never been tried in London. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, We've just found this out as well, right? Yeah, so they've just found the podium, and they're, so they're, they're trying to work out what it was for. So this is right. one of the theories, yeah. Is the, the Wailing Wall is in Jerusalem, <laughs> isn't it? Is that...? <laughs> I don't think that... 
was originally a lost property. <laughs> I mean, are we definitely sure about that? <laughs> Wailing. And it's a bit like town criers, I think. You know, yeah. you would have, yeah. oh, yeah. yay, oh, yay, someone's yeah. lost their socks or whatever. Yeah. That probably happened <laughs> in the olden days. Sure. Uh, in uh, Goslar in Germany, they had a town crier who was employed to remind the local pot place not to urinate or defecate into the river the day before the water was drawn for brewing beer. <laughs> Which I think we can all agree is a very useful job. <laughs> Um, there was a town cry. There was a town crier called Keith Jackman of Christchurch, and he has been deafened by the sound of his own bell. <laughs> <laughs> he's been he's been doing the oh yay for yeah. twenty five right. years, oh, wow. and now he's gone deaf. That's really sad. It is, isn't it? He, he should have worn um, those headphones, the uh, earmuffs that builders wear. Yeah, he should have done. Do you- <laughs> What an idiot. It is the, it's the absolute worst kind of tinnitus, isn't it? If, though it's just like, dong, dong. Yeah. Do, you remember, do you remember the guy? I, 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 haven't, I can't remember his name, but uh, when Prince George was born, was announced by a town crier, and everyone was like, oh, this is fantastically old school, this is wonderful. And it turns out it was just a guy who just decided to arrive and announce it. And he is a town crier, but in a very different town to where it was being announced. And he just walked up and here you, here you, and he announced it. And everyone was like, oh, this is so nice. And, and the royal family were going, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> Do you remember that? I hope he drove down all the way saying, I've got to tell them. <laughs> How oh. else will they know? <laughs> and the, the bell's next to him in the car with a little seatbelt on it. <laughs> Just you and me this time, Glenda. Um, the Town Choir Championships. I just think this is so amazing that these kind of things have the budget for this. I've been there once. What? Yeah. <laughs> Did not place. <laughs> what? Do you know where they were held, the last ones? Um, the one I went to was in either Lancashire or Yorkshire, I can't remember. Cool, the last one was in Bermuda, so I feel like... <laughs> Do you ever get the feeling you chose the wrong year? <laughs> I mean, who was paying for town crimes? Anyway, this year, it's the first time a Brit has won... The Town Crier Championship is very exciting. Mark Wiley uh, beat off 24 other contestants. <laughs> and they were like, oh, yay! <laughs> it's one of the requirements these days. <laughs> he actually said... For legal reasons, we have to correct that. <laughs> Sorry. He, uh, so this guy um, won over and above 24 other contestants. Um, what he won was an awful lot of rum, he said, <laughs> which I needed for medicinal purposes. He explained, which is understandable after the trauma he'd undergone. So. <laughs> I've got stuff on Lost and Found. Okay. Um, this story is... Uh, this is from the BBC News website for Berkshire in 2011. Uh, a mother has praised Reading buses for finding and returning her son's sausage casserole. 
her son's sausage casserole after he, <laughs> after he left it on a bus. I'll carry on. Yeah. <laughs> carry on. Suzanne Stout sent an email via social media network site Facebook <laughs> to thank staff at the bus company for saving her family's dinner. The sausage casserole, which was made by her son in his food technology class at school, ended up in lost property. The casserole was retrieved by Mrs. Stout and eaten, <laughs> having taken an unscheduled route around West Reading. <laughs> Which, for my money, is the greatest story ever. <laughs> there was the guy who, did you read, TFL published a couple of years ago a list of the most interesting stuff they've had in their lost property that's been claimed or not claimed. Um, one of which was, so the, the most, one of the most common items to have in lost property is false teeth, which is weird anyway. Uh, people, I don't know, relax, take them out, leave them there. Anyway, a man came back, claimed his false teeth, uh, took them away, and then returned a few hours later, <laughs> grimacing and saying, actually, these aren't mine. <laughs> you know that um, Kent police are now saying that they're no longer accepting lost property items. Yeah. And that you... Yeah, yeah. So if you, if you bring them a lost property item, they say, take it to Facebook or Twitter... And you now have to tweet or Facebook the lost property item. Uh, yeah, they no longer deal with Which it. really yeah. messes around with the law on lost property, because you're meant to take reasonable steps to return it to its owner. And if you go to the police and then several weeks pass and they haven't reunited it with its owner, then you have the best claim on it after the owner, because you, you found it. Uh, so I don't know how it works in the age of uh, doing it on social media, if, if that's if what qualifies as a reasonable effort. Mm. Yeah. And uh, very quickly, there's a thing. The Code of Hammurabi is the oldest legal code we have and it has a section on lost property. Um, so if somebody finds something he's lost in the possession of another man, right, and the person who own, has it now bought it from a salesman, and they've both got witnesses that they bought it honestly and that they owned it before, then since the seller was the thief, he should be put to death. <laughs> but if the man who was found with the property couldn't produce the seller to make the sale, but the original owner did have witnesses, then, since the professed purchaser was a thief, he should be put to death. <laughs> Finally, I think you know where this is going. <laughs> if you could not produce witnesses proving that you, in fact, owned it before it was found in the possession of the other guy, since he was a cheat and stated a false report, he shall be put to death. <laughs> Oh, there's no, Jesus. there's no, there's no scaling down in this lost property. <laughs> we need to move on. Yes. Okay, it is time for our next fact, and that is Chazinski. Yes, my fact is that the man who discovered why we sweat did so by getting in a sauna with a dog, a steak, and an egg. <laughs> <laughs> and this, <laughs> and then it just came to him. <laughs> I think you're going to have to explain, Anna. So this is this guy called Charles Blagden, who not very much is written about. And uh, so he was a British physician in the late 18th century. Um, and he was invited, actually, to, uh, you know, by other scientists to get into their sauna and find out why we sweat. And he decided to, and he persuaded a whole bunch of friends to come in with him. Um, and he subjected himself to ridiculous temperatures. So um, in, in 1775, he went up to 127 degrees Celsius. 
so way above boiling point. Wow. Um, sitting in the sauna, was found he was able to sit there. He was in one naked from the waist up. In others, he had to wear clothes because otherwise your uh, skin singes. Were, were there anywhere he was naked from the waist down? Uh, <laughs> the dog's looking worried. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there was a thought that how could he possibly have survived this? Because people didn't know that humans could thermoregulate like we know we can now. So how could we possibly survive being 127 degrees Celsius? Um, so there was an idea that the thermometer must be wrong. So rather than <laughs> get like, like a few thermometers in there to, you know, controls, um, he invited in his dog and an egg and some steak. And Nature's thermometer. <laughs> And he found that uh, the egg cooked extremely fast. The steak cooked um, even almost even faster. So that when oh, he God, writes what, it, and the dog. <laughs> Twenty-five minutes at Gaspar Kate. No, the dog's fine because animals can thermoregulate. But um, oh. the way when you read his write-up of it, it reads a bit like a cooking a cookery book uh, because it's mainly he seems to be focused on how well cooked the steak is. So he's, <laughs> he's sitting in there, you know, like 150 degrees C. Um, he says we put eggs and beef steak in there. After 20 minutes, uh, the eggs were taken out, roasted quite hard. In 47 minutes, the steak was not only dressed but almost dry. Another beef steak was rather overdone in, in 33 minutes. Um, and then in the evening, he explained that you could cook the steak even faster by using bellows to blow the hot air onto it. And he explained that the, the greatest part of the steak was pretty well done within 13 minutes. So he's either telling you how to cook steak well or he's explaining that um, humans can thermoregulate and in a way that steak can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this, this, this wow. is how he discovered that by sweating, we are able to not boil to death when uh, temperatures reach. I guess this guy wow. today is most famous for Blagden's Law, um, which yeah. is the idea that if you put salt in water, it takes longer to boil. Yes. That's what he's famous for. Is that do they use that in freezing on the roads? Is it the same yeah, principle? It's yeah. kind of the same principle. Is it yeah. that if you put salt in, um, then ice doesn't form as Yeah, it's similar to that. It's similar to when people put um, salt into water to like boil pasta or something. They think that the temperature will boil lower, but actually that's not really true. Uh, you could put as much salt as you want, like a hell of a lot of salt into a bowl of pasta, and it would change the boiling point by four hundredths of a degree. Oh. Okay. So it won't really make much difference. But um, I read the um, article on him in the Dictionary of National Biography, uh, and Dr. Johnson, who wrote the dictionary, um, said that he was a delightful fellow, this guy. Hmm. Uh, but there was another guy called Count Rumford who didn't really like him as much because Blagden um, had fought against him for the hand of um, Lavoisier's wife. So Antoine Lavoisier, who um, he was a person who there was an idea that people thought that um, when things burned, there was an element called phlogiston, and this was the element that allowed things to burn. Um, and then he died, and then his wife married um, this guy called um, Count Rumford. And weirdly, he is the person who disproved that something called caloric, um, which was another element, which was what happened when things heated up. Um, happened. So she was married to the guy who disproved phlogiston, which was a fake element for burning, and then was married to a guy who disproved caloric, which was the fake element for warming things up. Wow. wow. That is really interesting, but not funny. She was niche. <laughs> no. She had a very niche taste. Yeah, like really that. niche, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, bizarrely, I have a fact about Dr. Johnson and sweat. Great. Do you? Um, so, in Dr. Johnson's dictionary, uh, the word swelt, as in swelter these days, but 
the definition for the word swelt is to puff in sweat, if that be the meaning. <laughs> <laughs> Which I decide, I'm yeah. the writer of the dictionary, yeah. so it be the meaning. <laughs> um, I was, I was, so the fact is about why don't people cook effectively uh, when they're in a sauna, because that's what he was trying is to find it? out. Well, that's, I mean, that's slightly what he was trying to find out. It's, it's, um, okay, it wasn't what he was trying to find out. Uh, oh, I have misresearched this fact. Uh, no, it was more that... about how steaks do cook and humans, yeah, I Exactly, say, yeah, humans, yeah. how can you, how can you get this kind of heat? And with the dog, it was the, the tongue that was panting that allowed for it to regulate its heat for I us. Just, I feel like sweating. we have to explain why that was confusing, maybe to some people and to you. Why, when you say, why don't people cook, mm. you mean, why don't people themselves oh, cook get when really they're in a sauna. It's not, why yeah. don't people enter a sauna to make yeah. a fry-up yes. or a roast dinner? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah, that's... So I, I googled, um, how hot can a human get? And oh. did my photo come up? <laughs> Well, there were a lot of there were a lot of really interesting articles. Like it looked like there were, <laughs> there looked like there were good answers to the question. But I got really distracted because you know when you Google something, <laughs> James naked from the waist down. <laughs> no, so when you when you Google something at the very bottom when you scroll down, it says related searches. You know when you see that? Yeah. Yes. And then it gives you a new sentence. Uh, you can say. So I googled, how hot can a human get? And the related search that I got was, can a human get a dog pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> and I really want to do research for tonight on the fact, but... That is, Charles Blackton discovered two things in that sauna. <laughs> The answer to the second was no. Um, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Can you get a dog pregnant? Was that someone... Is that a lot of people typing that out of curiosity? Or are they worried? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't say. It didn't say. But it is interesting that all dogs can mate successfully with all other dogs. That is true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I just find that amazing. Yeah, yeah like create. <laughs> But it, it is, is amazing. Amazing. like a tiny chihuahua can mate with a, a massive great, yeah, great mate. Yeah. Yeah. And make a new dog, right? Make it that's the point of it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got a lot of explaining to do once the show's over. Do you know in uh, Finland there's a sauna elf? No. So uh, we've spoken about this on the podcast before. Um, Finland loves saunas like crazy. Their parliament has a sauna, and a lot of very big moments have happened in a sauna when they've been negotiating. They'll go, let's go to the sauna, and they'll sit it out until they decide. Um, but uh, part of their, their there's an equivalent of the boogeyman in Finland, which is the sauna elf, and he's called Sonatontu. And um, I'm sure in a different accent. Uh, and sauna tontu, uh, basically, if you're naughty in a in a sauna, he'll uh, he'll he'll burn it down and kill everyone. Um. Yep. So on the. <laughs> 
You better watch Ask out. Ask me on, <laughs> So nothing to's coming to the town. And he's burning the sauna down. You made that rhyme. That's very good. Um, we're going to have to move on to our final fact. Okay, time for our final fact, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that stick insect sex can last for 79 days, and the insects are stuck together the whole time. (laughs) Wow. That's like Sting and his wife, right? Isn't that a... (laughs) Is that tantric? I think think you've got confused. It stings, is what they said. (laughs) Yeah, so um, stick insects, you would think they're really boring, but actually they have quite, well, lengthy sex. I wouldn't I would say it's that exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. I, I don't suppose um, stick insects could probably, like, have sex that quickly because they might set each other on fire. It's <laughs> a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but these guys, um, their their genitalia, are, <laughs> their genitalia are in contact for forty percent of the time of the seventy nine days. So they are kind of you know at it for most yeah. of the time. Um, I read a theory that the the males drag it out so as to stop other males from mating with the female. Yes, that they're, that they're, um, I read that um, from um, a entomologist blogger called Bug Girl, which is where I got okay. this fact from originally. Uh, but she actually found several reports of stick insect group sex in the literature, which means that maybe he's not trying to keep it in the... the... No, in the couple. Oh. <laughs> That's why dogs do it, though, right? So if anyone's had a dog who's mated, um, dogs can stay attached to their bitches for up to 40, 45 minutes, um, standard. And it's, it's so that another dog... Only Anna could get away with that sentence. <laughs> These are just zoological terms, guys. Um, but yeah, that's to stop another dog getting in, getting too involved. Yeah. Um, so sometimes other males do sneak up, not in a, in that way, but just to try and sneak in when the first male breaks off to feed, as sometimes happens, um, and the intruder will start having sex with the female. But then if the first male finds out, the two of them will have a fight while both holding on to the female. They'll kind of uh, bat at each other with their legs. Oh, that's good. Oh. So distracting. Just the female... <laughs> What is going on back there? <laughs> anyway. So this isn't this actually isn't true of all stick insects. It's in, it's true of a lot of them. Um but there is um a stick insect called um Extatosoma tiaratum. Um, and the females of that species um, can reproduce without the need of males, so they can like auto reproduce. Um, but no one seems to have told the males. <laughs> so the males find the females really attractive and try to mate with them whenever possible. But the females have involved an anti-aphrodisiac to keep the males away. And when eventually they manage to get past the anti-aphrodisiac and they mount them, they can kick them with their back legs to get them off because they just want to say no. We don't need you guys. We can just have sex on our own. And they, so I think these 
this is actually very confusing to evolutionary biologists because usually asexual reproduction evolves because of a lack of males. And so, you know, a female will asexually reproduce, but really you want the male to be there because of diversity of genes. But yeah, these stick insects are saying, no, we actually way prefer it this way. We'll just create clones of ourselves who are very easy to get along with. Um, and... <laughs> Yeah, they bat them off, and it's this kind of conundrum, like, are they going to outlast males? Are these male... So I think it's the spiny leaf stick insects That's in right, Australia. Yeah. Um, will the males die out first, or will they evolve to manage to, I don't know, like, assault the women enough that they can still... Because if the, if the male manages to have sex with the female, they produce both male and female offspring because the eggs yeah. are fertilised. And if the ah. if it's just the female producing uh, parthenogenesis, then they only produce clones females. of themselves who are obviously all females. So it's a real um, genuine battle. Like utopia sexes. versus dystopia, kind of all-female world versus... Yeah. You know, oh, I wouldn't no, call no, that dystopia, rather. I mean... Um... Do you want to hear something cool about stick insects? Yes, uh, eggs. So uh, some of the eggs have this special capsule of sort of fat and other good tasty stuff called a capitulum at one end of them. And ants like eating the capitulum bit, so they carry the eggs back to their nest and they eat the capitulum bit and then they throw the eggs onto a kind of rubbish heap where they remain incubating and they can stay incubating for up to a year. And then the babies, uh, stick insects, just hatch and then they walk out of the nest. And um, I, I read that this was compared to paying a babysitter to look after your eggs, um, to look after your offspring. But it's not really, because I think that is the equivalent of leaving your child abandoned, but with a Toblerone attached. <laughs> the, someone who likes a Toblerone will say, oh, I love a Toblerone. I'll just take this. Oh, what's this on the... T- and just <laughs> <laughs> parenting in the world (laughs) (laughs) look after your own child because the ants do eat some of the eggs I mean yeah yeah they will they will eat thinking they're edible some of the so yeah it is saying that this guy might eat you but if he doesn't then you might be okay Uh, I'm off (laughs) I was I was properly when I was researching today I was looking into pictures of stick insects and something I think that's not said enough is it's, they're, they're really weird, eh? Like they yeah. they look like it's, it's they look like sticks. Well, yeah, they look like trees have become conscious and we're just not acknowledging it. It's just they do. It just yeah, looks like a weird. bit of stick has gone. I'm alive. Oh my god, what is the world going on here? And we've gone probably an insect. It's just an insect. No, it, a tree has woken up. That's a good point. Like if you. If you had two stick insects having sex for 79 days attached to each other, how do you know it's not just two sticks? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> what have you been watering it the whole time? And they're just like, we're trying to have sex here. And you're like, who's this guy every it is, day? It is difficult for researchers to find stick insects because they're nocturnal and they pretend to be sticks. And so it's, it is quite hard to study them. Um... And you know, the best thing is, a lot of stick insect eggs look like seeds. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. Extra camouflage. That is smart. (laughs) It's not. They are conscious trees. That's what's happened. We're all dancing around it because it's too mind-blowing for us to accept. Oh, their children look like seeds. They're fucking seeds. (laughs) 
Do you, you think mean, that all things that are camouflaged are actually the thing that they're camouflaged against? <laughs> We're not camouflaged. Look at us. There's no camouflage on us. And then yeah, there's a stick walking past me, and I better go, oh, that's, that makes sense. <laughs> but if you have, like, an Arctic fox, which is camouflaged as snow, you don't think, oh, my God, snow is... No, because it's not, like, it's not like an iceberg walking past me and being like, oh, hi, iceberg. It's, it's a fox. <laughs> I feel we might have hit a nerve here. <laughs> um, we've found a stick insect which is 126 million years old, older than a lot of dinosaurs. I think that's just a stick. <laughs> Do you know more about this? You and I, let's talk. All right. Um, no, well, the, the cool thing is about it is that um, we know that a lot of them imitate flowering plants, and um, we know flowering sticks. Um, and we, we, we know we know what plant it would have mimicked because we, if its wings were folded, it would have looked like a stripy tongue. And there was there were stripy tongue-looking plants around at the time, and we know those in the fossil record, and we know this, and we can kind of imagine Match what it would have looked like. Yeah, it's yeah. just so cool. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And there are 3,000 species uh, in the genus, which includes stick insects and leaf insects, which is another kind of insect. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, so this is one extraordinary stick insect, uh, which was thought to have gone extinct on Lord Howe Island, which is in the South Pacific, uh, thought to have gone extinct in 1920. Um, so it used to be known as the tree lobster because it's absolutely enormous. It's 12 centimetres long on average. Um, I also heard that it was known as a walking sausage. <laughs> they can also imitate sausages. <laughs> Dan's next fry-up is going to be... I, uh, I mean, I do a lot of stick point. work, but I, I also dabble in sausage stuff. <laughs> um. I wish that was the first time I'd ever heard you say that, Andy. <laughs> Insects. We thought it disappeared, these giant insects, in 1920. And very recently, in the, within the last 10 years, so there were rumours that they were, still existed on Bull's Pyramid, which is a pyramid that juts out of the ocean very near to this, uh, this South Pacific island. And these four Australians went to investigate these rumours and see if this giant stick insect still existed. They climbed up this vertical rock face and they found under one bush these stick insects have been living for almost 100 years. They found 24 insects under one plant, one single plant. Um, and we don't know how they got there. People think they might have hitchhiked over on birds, which I quite oh, like. Wow. Yeah. And so now they really want to reintroduce them to Lord Howe Island. And the reason they went extinct in the first place is because there, were loads of, uh, there was a rat infestation that we introduced. So now Lord Howe Islanders are being faced with the choice between would you like to keep your horrible rat infestation... Um, or would you like us to get rid of that in exchange for giant, horrific-looking stick insects <laughs> the size of your head? <laughs> um, I'm going to wrap us up very soon. Okay. So uh, anyone else got anything? I just On duration of uh, copulation, uh, there is a map of the US that's been compiled because there's an app where you can report how long your sex lasts in America um, and then there's a map of the US which tells you which states have the longest sex. Um, and or so it's... which states are the biggest liars. <laughs> well, I don't know if anyone's lying because they, they are not long. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
refreshingly honest. <laughs> New Mexico wins. Um, copulation lasts 7.01 minutes on average. Alaska loses. The average copulation is 1.21 minutes. Yeah, but it's cold. It's cold. <laughs> you, know, you want to get back inside, don't you? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Only al fresco for some. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening at home. Thank you so much for being here tonight. If you want to get in contact with us about any of the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on Twitter. I'm on at Schreiberland. Andy at Andrew Hunter M. James at Eggshaped. Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep. And uh, we also have a website, no such thing as a fish.com. We've got all of our previous episodes up there. Go to that if you want to hear previous episodes. Thank you so much for being here, guys. That was really fun. Uh, we're going to be back again next week with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye.